Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. You can find out more about my work as an intuitive guide and teacher at karenhager.com. Now then, I was raised Presbyterian, and I often say that we went to church for the donuts. If my sister and I behaved in church, we got donuts afterwards. I was then, I still am, uh, highly motivated by sugary treats of all kinds. So all of that worked out well. And it wasn't until a lot later that I felt a deep spiritual awakening and a call to explore the ways in which divine love is living in us and how we can respond to it in the world. That call led me to the Episcopal Church and eventually into seminary. And I left seminary before completing the program, and I stepped out of the ordination process. Why? Although I couldn't fully express it at the time, I felt deeply that the the limits around all of this were too tight, too small, and I didn't feel free to bring all of myself to that sacred table. And this is where the work of Christian mystics like Julian of Norwich, Hildegard of Bing, and many more started to really fascinate me. So how can we talk about, feel into, express the ways that divine love moves through us? And how can we do that in a way that's relevant to the lives we live today? John M. Sweeney and Mark S. Burroughs are here to talk about how the, the words, the work, the teachings of a 14th century German mystic, Meister Eckhart, have relevance and challenges for modern explorers like like me, and maybe you. Are you ready to meet them? John M. Sweeney is an independent scholar and award-winning writer. He is a biographer of St. Francis of Assisi and commentator on those writings, and his books on Franciscan subjects have sold more than 200,000 copies. John's the author of more than 40 books, including The Pope Who Quit, which was optioned by HBO. He edits the magazine Living City, and he's religion editor and associate publisher of Monkfish Publishing in Rhinebeck, New York. He's appeared on CBS Saturday Morning and numerous other programs. The best way to connect with him may be on Twitter, where he's John M. Sweeney. John, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thank you, Karen. It's great to be with you. I'm glad you're with us. And Mark Esperos is here. Mark Esperos, PhD, is a speaker and leader of workshops and retreats on poetry and spirituality. He's widely known for his work in the field of medieval mysticism and also one of the foremost experts on Rilke's writings, engaging them for experts and a wide general readership alike. An award-winning poet and translator, Mark is bringing out a new translation of Rilke's Sonnets to Orpheus, as well as a book inspired by Rilke, which he co-authored with best-selling Australian author Stephanie Dowrick, called A Wiser Way, Living the Questions with Rainer Maria Rilke, both to be published next year. You can visit Mark at soul-in-site.org. Mark, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thank you so much, Karen. Um, John, I'm going to start with you. What what does mysticism mean to you? And I'm I'm wondering if you feel like there are mystics today. Oh, ab- ab- absolutely, there are mystics today more than ever. I believe, Karen. Um, I think that there there is a divine vibration or energy or mother or God, whatever we call it, uh, that is all around us, and that some of us are 
uh, understanding of its presence and find ways to tap into it. Um, most classically, I think the mystic is the person who practices some form of self-surrender, uh, yeah. contemplative practice, oftentimes ascetic, meaning giving things up uh, as part of their practice, and then sometimes various kinds of, you know, ridiculous joy. And, and 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 I and I think that all is very much a part of being human for for those who figure it out that that it is essential for being human. Uh, th there was a Catholic theologian 40, 50 years ago. His name is Karl Rahner, and I remember he said, "The Christian of the future will be a mystic, or they will not exist at all." And at the time, he was criticized for saying such a thing, but he couldn't be more right because. Ever since he said this 50 years ago, we have fewer Christians than ever, but I think we have more mystics than ever, and that's a good thing. And so I'm hearing you say that that idea of of being a mystic is not narrowly defined by a Christian label. Oh, not at all. No, not at all. And uh, frankly, the theologian I just quoted, I think, would agree with me on that even though he was, you know, a Catholic theologian teaching in, in circumscri circumscribed places, uh, Catholic theology. But no, I think, uh, I think mystic transcends uh, religious tradition, transcends our texts, our traditions, our liturgies. And mystics often are the people who meet each other across the divides of those religious traditions, not necessarily meaning that the religious traditions are no longer of value, but that mystics, I, I, you know, they see each other. That they, they, they know, they know another one when they see one. So there's a kind of recognition there. Mark, can you tell us a little bit about Meister Eckhart? So someone who, again, within that limited sphere, started to speak and teach in a way that that challenged and kind of broke norms in some way. So can you tell us about Meister Eckhart? Oh, sure. Well, he was born sometime around 1260, and he died probably in 1328. Strange that we don't know exactly when he was born. Well, that's not so strange for the time, but that we don't know exactly when he died is a bit peculiar. But his life as a Dominican, he joined in a new, relatively new order uh, in Europe, a preaching order, a mendicant order. They they didn't, the D Dominicans didn't go to find remote places to discover God, but located their priories, their, their places of, of living and work in the cities and towns and villages of Europe, and they spread rapidly across Europe. He was part of that spread, and in fact, one might almost say he exemplified it. He was called the Meister because he was revered for his learning, but he's most known, I think, today not for the deep learning, but for the remarkable vocabulary he developed, preaching, uh, often in German, and, and developing a new vocabulary to speak about the encounter with the divine, about the experience of the God he always described as the God beyond God, the God beyond conventions, the God beyond expectations, the God beyond dogma or creed, or the formulations of faith that we've grown comfortable with. Because he was sure that whatever God was, God should unsettle us of our certainties and take us to a much deeper place of encounter with our true self and with the true God, whom we cannot name, but whom we experience, Eckhart would say, in the ground of our being. That's making me think about how maybe 
part of being a mystic is to uh, seek and welcome that unsettling if it is in the service of a deeper connection to the Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And Eckhart would have said that by speaking often about how we needed to let go of the self we thought we were to encounter a deeper self, a deeper truth about ourselves, not just about God, but about ourselves, which for him was one and the same as encountering God, because he said, God is the ground. And then he used that simple word, that simple German word, the Grund, God is the ground of our of being. And God is our ground. And finally, our ground and God's ground are one ground. Now, those kinds of thoughts got him in trouble with the <laughs> church. <laughs> he was uh, held in suspicion of, of holding heretical ideas, 28 propositions, which he fiercely uh, maintained were misconstruals of his, of his teaching. But he died uh, with a cloud of suspicion around him. Uh, and though he was already in his lifetime, had a devoted following, uh, there was always a, a certain shadow that uh, remained over him. And I think that shadow is something that has been, to return to John's point, that mystics of all religions have often felt ascribed to them because they, they unsettled religious conventions to go deeper than the external things of um, liturgy or of creed or of formulations of faith. So, John, that that idea that we have of Eckhart as kind of a dangerous mystic, is there a kind of mm, dangerousness then inherent in in all mystics, not just the ones who like uh, preach and teach and put things out there, but is there a little danger in this way of living? Delightful mm. danger, maybe? Well, I, I think of two different ways to answer your question. Uh, the first is the the situation of Eckhart himself and others like him all the way up to our present day. If you're a mystic and you are within a religious structure that values hierarchy and authority, which relates to power, then you're going to be, you're going to feel threatened if you're one of those people in power, if there's the suggestion that the instruments of liturgy and the correct interpretation of text and you know, following the path that's been uh, prescribed is questioned by activity that might be called mystical, might be defined more individually and personally, interiorly. So that got him into trouble and that still gets people into trouble today. <laughs> uh, you know, for for instance, in my Christian context, if if you're a mystic or if you teach mystical ideas, it takes people away from the sacraments of the church, you know, what the church would call the sacraments. Um, you, you might feel that you don't need those things as much anymore. You have your own direct path, as many people call it, the sort of mystical path, the direct path. But the other way I think of answering the question is, I think what you were maybe suggesting, uh, suggesting Karen, which is that, yes, I think for, for those of us who, who feel, who see, who acknowledge this divine, you know, vibration energy that we're tapping into with our lives, um, and it's very real, 
there's a there's the there's a danger in doing that it it, it puts it puts your your self identity in danger it puts your it puts in danger um who you might be and who you might become if you really do truly allow yourself to connect and to sometimes submit to the divine energy or to god um whatever language you want to give to it that it's a it's a it's a whole lot safer, less fulfilling, but safer to go through life ignoring that that exists. Mm. And to and to maybe follow the the rules or the form in a yep. way where you're just paying attention only to the form and not paying attention to the life within the form. Exactly. If 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 I do these things, if I just simply do this and do that, then I am okay. I'm in the right column. But it's not a reflective way of living, and it's not it doesn't give you access to a whole lot of things that really tapping into that energy to God gives you access to, I believe. So well, and I'd, I'd add to that that it what it doesn't give you is joy, that kind of uh, of uh, obedience, mindless obedience. And you mentioned this earlier, John, there's a kind of delightful, reckless joy in Eckhart that bursts forth with some of the outrageous images he gives of what it is to experience this this oneness with God. Were those startling images, Mark, um, chosen deliberately to kind of uh, shock, maybe is the wrong word, but chosen deliberately to surprise the people who were who were listening? Oh, absolutely. And and they were often very, very common images and very familiar images. They weren't esoteric. I think that's something I would add to John's description of mysticism. Often people think, oh, that's esoteric. That's something completely beyond me. Eckhart would say, no, no, it isn't. It's actually going into the heart of, of who you are. Uh, for instance, at one point, uh, Eckhart says that when God looks at us, God sees uh, s something like a horse jumping about uh, happily, giddily, in a field for no reason that you can can possibly see and Eckhart says when God looks at them at us at each one of us even in our difficult moments this is what God sees God sees the possibility that we could be raucously joyful like a horse dancing about in a field on a summer afternoon I mean those kinds of images they stay with you yeah. you won't forget that one Karen I don't think. And the next time you go buy some horses in a field, you might smile to yourself and say, well, those horses, if they started running about, kicking up their heels, is that the way God looks at me? And if that's true, how should I be experiencing that or taking that into myself today? So the two of you are friends as well as colleagues. How did you decide to work together on this how did this come together john i'll let you start uh karen i think the best the best way that i can express it is that uh, i've i've been working in books spiritual and religious books for my adult life and i've benefited from wonderful mystic poets and writers over the years um and my my own interests have turned to, uh, regardless of religious tradition, mystical poets. So uh, Rabindranath Tagore, uh, Rumi, uh, Hafez, uh, Rilke, uh, 
Hildegard of Bingen and so on. And I've, I was a great fan 20, 25 years ago of Daniel Ladinsky's renderings, uh, which, which are sort of revoicings, and we can get to that word in a minute, of Hafez. And similarly of, of translations that people like Coleman Barks have done of Rumi and Andrew Harvey has done of Rumi. And Mark and I started to have conversations, I don't know, a decade ago maybe, about a project that we wanted to do together. And uh, we started to talk about how if there was one Christian figure for whom the audience could be so much larger if his prose was turned somehow into verse, it would be art. And so that's where it began. Mm. Yeah. I remember, John, the the um, introduction that we wrote together to the first volume, Meister Eckhart's Book of the Heart, and this is actually your paragraph I'm recalling. It begins like this. These are poems by Meister Eckhart, the 14th century German mystic, philosopher, friar, priest, and theologian. There's only one problem. Eckhart never wrote poems. He wrote in discursive prose. His academic works in Latin and many of his sermons in the German vernacular of his day. But his manner of expression despite the formalities of genre, is often poetic to the core. And I think as John and I were working on this, thinking about this project, we kept coming back to particularly the German sermons, but, but not only the German sermons, uh, as, as forms of, of, of expression that in reading them in a collection wouldn't grab people because they're, they're written in a different voice. But the images that he uses and the way of thinking that he dared or risked uh, embodying in his writing were are dazzlingly, dazzlingly uh, attractive, compelling, provocative, puzzling. And I think the puzzlement is a big part of what makes draws draws both of us to Eckhart. That that reading Eckhart, it doesn't immediately appear to you exactly what you should think. And that's part of Eckhart's strategy. He wants to lure you into that place of wondering and puzzling and, and being ready to be startled out of your complacencies. You're listening to Out of the Fog. I'm talking with John M. Sweeney and Mark S. Burroughs. They are co-authors of Meister Eckhart's Book of Darkness and Light, Meditations on the Path of the Wayless Way. There's a quote from Eckhart at just at the very beginning of the book, and it and it moved me so deeply. I don't know if I can read it in a <laughs> in a completely mm. like straight faced way. You know what I mean? A non moved mm. way. So know this: God has imprinted God's image within you, and nothing you can do, and nothing that happens to you can erase this beauty, which is with you even when you ignore or betray it. Wow, that's a little bit of a subversive message because we all know that God is a white man who sits on a cloud and has a list of all the things you've done wrong and is very, very displeased with you. That quote <laughs> blew my mind. <laughs> that that white man in the clouds, though, that comes with donuts. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes he dispenses donuts, but only if you're very good. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I envied your uh, your introduction because I, I never got donuts when I was a kid. But <laughs> I, I think it's all about the birth of God in the soul, uh, the birth of God in the soul and and 
the necessity of detachment, of resignation, which we most often call letting go. Um, this is what Eckhart's whole program was about. And it is not, it, it's countercultural. It's absolutely countercultural. This is not what we normally set out to do. In fact, we, we, we sort of set out to do the opposite, I think, often these days. Mm -hmm. We don't set out to detach and we don't set out to let things go. We set out to, you know, bind things up and hold them tighter. Um, but Eckhart mm -hmm. says, not only is that not the mystical way, but that's not the way to, to find the ground that you share with the divine, which is within you. And that, that feeling that even when I ignore or betray willfully, that, that connection, that, that image, that imprint, that it, it shines in spite of the, the ways in which I don't measure up to that. Oh, exactly. And Eckhart would add to that, that that's all God sees when God looks upon you or me. All the other things that we worry about, that we were confused by, these things aren't real for God. Because in, in a sense, God, Eckhart would say that God and the self are one, uh, meaning that I am God and you are God. Now, he didn't mean that in a way of making you and me like the, the old man with a white beard in the sky dispensing donuts or, or, or wrath, whatever. Mm. He meant it in a much deeper way that in one sense, the image of God is within us and the image of ourselves, and this is the stunning thing, is within God. And there is no division between those two realities for Eckhart. And the medium of poetry speaks into that mm, self-reflective place, right? Can some of the poems in this book just are like little delightful arrows right into the heart. Mm. And so, mm. Mark, as you were, as as a poet, mm. what was your intention as you took, because these are not, they're Eckhart's words, but not his poems. Right. And that's important to say. They're, they're giving voice to Eckhart's vision, his wisdom. And often they do, they do stay very close to his, his language, but they do it in a poetic form that Eckhart uh, wouldn't have chosen. I mean, in his day, there were people who did. Hildegard of Bingen wrote little poems as antiphons, as songs for the nuns to sing in the liturgy, and they're remarkable. Um, Eckhart didn't do that, so we gave him a little help and um, came into that that place where his expression, for John and me at least, seemed to beckon poems forth. And, and why poems? Because poems poems give us room to to move about in a way that a prose paragraph doesn't always do i mean a good prose paragraph might but a poem a poem will always do that it gives spaciousness it gives space for the imagination uh, and if you look at these little, little poems on the page there's more white space than black ink so there's lots of of, of room for the eye and the mind the imagination to roam about with these images and John, I'm as I read these, I'm I come to them understanding that there's no expectation about how I will receive them. I can let those yeah. words kind of uh, hit me 
without that expectation, I will now read the very holy thing that will bring me closer. No, they're just, it's, it's a beautiful flow rhythm that touches the heart. And, and what I, what I love about what they accomplish is in me anyway, is they, they help to take me out of what I have learned through almost half a century of sort of uh, self-help and spirituality literature because I'm so well-schooled in it, as I'm sure many of your listeners are. You know, we go on retreats and we read lots of books and we have great teachers and we listen to podcasts and things. And we've been really well-schooled in learning to know ourselves and to pry away the false self and find the true self and that sort of language and that sort of pursuit. But what, what Eckhart is having to say even strips that away. Um, that because that project of ours, that spirituality project of ours, becomes part of what gets in the way, according to Eckhart. And in, instead, his his program is an, it's not a program at all. It's just about the soul in whom union is realized is a poor one, one who wants nothing, who knows nothing, who mm-hmm. has nothing. And so, the more willing we are to be that soul, that's where we find the divine within us. So I'd love to ask each of you, I'm seeing that the clock is about to catch us, darn it. And I'd love to ask each of you to share one of the bits, the poems from the book that you'd most like listeners to hear. Mark, you can go first if you don't mind. Do you have a favorite? Oh, it's hard to say. I mean, I I open each of these books and it seems like every other page is a favorite. So, but let, let me share this one. And it was inspired by a talk that Eckhart gave as a relatively young man. He was about 35, and he gave a series of talks to the novices entering the community. Uh, And one of them had asked a question, what's the best place to find God? Most people tell me I should go to church or go into my my room, my prayer room, and find God there. What do you think? Well, this is Eckhart's answer in the way that John and I formulated it. It's entitled, Everything Will Become God. Some people think that finding God depends on being in the right place, praying in the right way, or keeping company with the right people. But I say this, strive to be in the right state of mind, and you'll find God finding you, no matter where you are, or how you pray, or whom you're with. If you do this, you'll see that everything will become God for you. Everything. Mm. Wow. John, what's yours? Well, I was smiling when Mark was preparing to read his because I thought he was about to read the one I was going to read, which is uh, comes from a similar text. It's called So You Want to Find God. But I'm not going <laughs> to read that one because Mark just read one that's very similar, but, but it is striking. Uh, so your readers might look at both of them in the book. Let me read... Uh, you carry an inner radiance because we haven't talked about the word radiance and at least maybe I can leave everyone with uh, the tantalizing idea of their own inner radiance through Eckhart. It goes like this. A great teacher once said that if we think of God as a word, then God is spoken. But if God is a word unspoken, then God is beyond speaking and knowing beyond words, but not beyond you since you carry an inner radiance, which also is beyond speaking and knowing. 
but not beyond you in the nobility of who you are in your soul. There, in that spark, the unspoken God becomes radiant. Mm. Mm. John, Great S. choice, John. Oh, it's beautiful. John M. Sweeney, Mark S. Burroughs, thank you for talking with us today. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Karen. Our pleasure. You have um, been listening to a conversation with John M. Sweeney and Mark S. Burroughs. They worked together on Meister Eckhart's book of darkness and light, Meditations on the Path of the Wayless Way. That book is freely available everywhere you can get good books. You can connect with Mark S. Burroughs through his website, soul-in-sight.org, soulinsight.org. And John's best social media is on Twitter, where he is John M. Sweeney. That's J-O-N-M-S-W-E-E-N-E-Y, John M. Sweeney on Twitter. And of course, you're always welcome over at KarenHager.com. It's a great place to find out about upcoming classes and events. You can even book a session with me there if you want to connect. And the fun continues on Instagram where you get more out of the fog comment, maybe pictures of donuts, but I don't usually have them long enough to take pictures and put them on Instagram. But there's pictures of Maisie the dog taking a nap and you can see uh, jigsaw puzzles that I'm working on. I'm Fog City Psychic on Instagram. Thank you for listening today. Together, we are spreading a little more light in the world. And a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace.